Welcome to the 200th episode of the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. That's right. I'm here with my 200th episode partner in crime, Dr. Millicent Ravello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing really, really well. And I am so excited that you have put up with me for 200 episodes. I'm feeling pretty happy about that. Au contraire, it is you who have put up with me. You have have declared rant-free zones on multiple occasions, and now it is time for us to take questions from our listeners. That's what we're doing for our 200th episode. So we've been accumulating these questions. Some of them have come through the podcast. Some of them have come directly from our own patients, but they're kind of like, some of them are like common questions that I get a lot, and some of them are kind of the ones that make you go, huh. So I'm going to ask you some of the ones I've received and vice versa. You're going to ask me. But first, shall we make a toast? Absolutely. We had to do a little. The only pain I want in my life is champagne. Champagne. So we were going to open this on the podcast, but it's Friday afternoon and it's been a really long week. So I was like, (laughs) can we please have some before the podcast? (laughs) So if I'm like a little more charming than usual. (laughs) (laughs) So, So we missed the pop though. I'll do it for you. There you go. All right. So cheers, doctor, to To 200 200 episodes. episodes. Cheers. Clink. Oh, wait. We should do that right into the microphone. Take that one. Nice. Good job. Thanks. So I I think just before we get into the questions, some of the the highlights of why this podcast has been uh, not only enjoyable to do, great as a resource for our patients, but I think some of the things that have been surprising to me that uh, I, I didn't am- anticipate when we got into this was how much the podcast would help me compartmentalize and focus information, not only for myself, but for teaching, for patients, uh, even for my own understanding of just exactly what it is we do here. You know, it really does help to kind of bring a, you know, a, a, like an arrow-focused Focus. kind of way of thinking about plastic surgery. It's really been powerful. No, a thousand percent agree. There's so much that we know from what we've learned in our training, from what we've read, from just you know the hands-on practice that we do. But when you have to verbalize and make that training and knowledge concise in 20-minute episodes, you really have to kind of organize your thoughts and put it down in a way that makes sense. And in such a way, it actually, actually you kind of learn something in the process. Like, oh yeah, that that's why I do that. I mean, I, I knew that, but now I know why I do that. Right. And that's the thing. Verbalization of your thinking is really a key uh, component to A, being able to understand how to make progress in your own practice, yep. but also about how to... Uh, teach others and how to teach yourself. I mean, they, you know, somebody said to me, do you think AI is ever going to be able to do surgery? Like, do you ever think that can happen? Can, can AI do plastic surgery? That's like the first question I had. Oh, is it? <laughs> it's up there. I've, Cause I've been getting that a lot. Well, let's, let's answer that question then. So question from our listeners, can AI do plastic surgery? What do you think? Not to disparage any other surgical or medical professions, but I do think that there are some surgical, and disparage is the wrong word, there are some surgical professions where AI might 
be able to do the job because we already have robotic surgeries doing, you know, gallbladders, colons, prostates, gynecology surgeries. And true, there is a human on the other end of the robot operating it. But theoretically, that robot that's already been like trained and programmed with the arms and the utensils and the instruments could develop a way of being able to think on its own how to analyze the situation and do the surgery. Plastic surgery could potentially become that as well, but there's so much, you know, loosey-goosey, fluffy artistry. You got to feel the tissues and know how they're going to respond to you that maybe with really technical AI could be done. But right now we are so far off from that because even if you look at a photo of people and say their breasts look more or less the same, once you examine them in person, you oh, this one's skin is so much looser. This one's breast tissue is really tight. Like they want to have this look. Oh, their body is shaped this way. I don't know that we're there with AI. You know, there's a lot of artistry to what we do, which I guess could be trained. I mean, AI is doing art. We know that. But I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think that if I can verbalize it, then I can teach the computer. Ah, I disagree. I do. I think that I can explain why things look good to me. I, I explain it all the time in surgery. I explain it almost to myself when I'm teaching when I'm teaching the fellows, when I'm teaching the residents, when I'm at a conference, when I'm in, you know, the you know, in going through a preoperative evaluation of a patient. I'm sitting there going, boy, you know, this patient's nose looks this way because of these things. And in order to affect a major change to make the nose look more beautiful. These are the 17 things that need to happen. And sometimes it's 99 things that need to happen. It's, you know, it, the bottom line is I can verbalize it. But how many times do you get in there and the plan that you made changes because you realize that something internally is different than what you expected or on the table, that move you made just doesn't look right all of a sudden. Every time, every right. time those things come up and you have to be flexible. But I think that I think that it's teachable. And so if I can teach it, I think you can program it. To make a Jake Calvert nose. Or but there nose, are, But yeah. there are other surgeons that have different aesthetic views. Of course. So and I think it can be... In the same way an AI could make a photo or a painting in the style of Rembrandt or Van Gogh or what have you, Matisse, they would make a nose in the style of Jake Calvert, which you would then own the rights to. <laughs> which would be awesome. Because... <laughs> We don't get paid for inventing Because then you could ever. just sleep and collect and the royalties. Money. That'd be great. I mean, think of all the surgical techniques that, you know, get invented that nobody gets paid on. They just, the, for it's, sure. unfortunately in our culture, we've decided that you can't make money from surgical techniques because it needs to be disseminated for the greater good of human beings. Now, if you program something that says, this is how you make a Jay Calvert nose, you get money every single time That's that true. programming gets used. We have canal stitches, Benelli mastopexies, wise patterns, a thousand percent, all of these giants of surgery that have- And nobody gets paid. Yeah, they get no credit. Right. Okay, so that's question number one. Okay. We gotta move along. All right, so that was a question that I received. What have you got for me? There, there was a question that came in that always makes me go like, that's not how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me go, like, Listeners, sometimes we have to really struggle to I know. keep a straight it's just, face it's hard. because all of your questions are super valid, but sometimes they right make because us you can't. Well, the, here's the thing: is like you try to imagine, like 
How does that happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They must cut the nipples off when you do a breast lift. <laughs> See? <laughs> that was that's your a, response. That is a very serious question. It is a very serious question, but that's the question. Do you cut the nipples off to do a breast to lift? Do a breast lift. And it makes sense, right? Because you take that nipple, which is staring at the floor, right. and now all of a sudden down. it's looking like front and center on camera. Right. So you must have like pepperoni that thing, no. put it on the back table, and you know, slapped it back on after you've lifted everything else on. Not true. No. So the nipple is usually attached, we need it to stay attached because the blood supply to the nipple is coming from deep on the chest wall from under the ribs. So we need that nipple to stay attached to the chest wall. So we cut all the way around the nipple, leaving a healthy section of tissue underneath it that has the blood supply that's called the pedicle. And with it being completely cut around, we now have complete mobility of it. We can move it up, down, side to side and put it wherever we want it and then close the rest of the skin around it. Now, in very, not rare, but in every once in a while, in very large, 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 large breasts, we do actually have to cut the nipple off because the blood supply is not going to survive because the distance is too long for it to travel. So in that case, we actually do cut the nipple off and sew it back into position. That's called a free nipple graft. But on average, no, we're not cutting your nipple off. Right, but it seems like that would be the way to do it. But it seems like, so which segues me into the question for you... I heard when you do a facelift, the ears are cut off and then put back on because the incision goes all the way around the ears. So clearly you've detached it from the face. No, you do not cut the ears off. (laughs) The ears stay attached. It would make it easier if you cut the ears off. They'd be out of the way. You could do so much. But we do not cut the ears off. We simply cut around the ear in a very strategic pattern. Very superficial. Some of us cut more strategically than others. That's all I'll say. Check out the facelift I'm podcast. <laughs> nope. Uh, okay. Move on. Rant-free zone. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is going to be a rant-free episode, yes. I see. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Fine. Okay. There's 199 other episodes. That they Plenty of rants. rants. <laughs> <laughs> because there need to be rants. There need to be. Because I don't think that people understand how, <laughs> how plastic surgery works without the rants. Because when you hear me rant, it all of a sudden makes you go you know, I should look into that. You know, that guy seems pretty, he seems pretty peeved over the incisions of the face. So anyway, you don't cut the ears off. They stay attached. You cut around the ears. There's very strategic anatomy, sort of anatomical aspects to that incision that hide it very well. And interestingly, I will tell you that yesterday I saw a patient of mine from 13 years ago who had a mid-face lift Brow, eyes, you know, forelid bluff, and uh, looked great from here up. For some reason, she must have had a psychogenic fugue or something, and she went elsewhere for her lower face and neck approximately three years ago. Mm. This facelift included a, in front of the ear, not in the tragus, but in the, in the skin fold between the ear and the face, incision that went behind the ear and then came down on the neck, but it's almost like they missed the hairline. (laughs) So it was in front of the hairline by like a centimeter. Yikes. It was so bad that I, I just, I bit my tongue and just said, I'm just not going to say anything. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Everyone. And listeners, we're going to refer you to the natural lift doctor. Natural lift, please. Um, next question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
I'm going to stop. <laughs> you really don't want me to get into it. I don't. Look, our listeners have questions that need to be answered. Um, okay. The next one is, what's with the mesh? Oh, the Maya in Espanol. Ah, the Maya. See. Yeah. Um, so mesh can be many different things. In our world, it can be mostly absorbable, although there are some forms of permanent mesh typically used in the abdomen, not so much for what we do in plastic surgery. But we use a lot of mesh in the breasts. Mesh can be cadaver skin, so literally what it sounds like. It's harvested from a cadaver, it's washed, it's denatured, all the live elements are removed, and then we put it back in the breast, typically for breast reconstruction, for capsular contracture, or it can be a completely synthetic mesh that we use for soft tissue support in the breast. I use it in the breast a lot. I love it. I think it serves a great function. Um, and when you need it, you kind of need it. Yeah, I mean, I love the mesh in terms of defining the inframammary fold. Oh, great. Uh, in doing symastia repairs. Uh, symastia is when you have uh, a, where both breast implant pockets meet. It's uniboob. It's a uniboob. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's not cute. Um, the, and, and that's a hard repair, by the way. So hard. You know, I don't think we've done Simastia. <gasps> we have not. As a, uh, so uh, make a note, Sean, uh, Sean Gosser, our uh, producer of four bazillion episodes of the uh, Beverly Hills Plastic, actually 200 episodes of the uh, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Make a note, Simastia. We're doing that one. That's yeah. a very important episode. Mesh is great. We can use it in a variety of places and it's very helpful and I love it. Great. I oh, love yeah. it too. So that's what's with the mesh. That's what's with the mesh. All right, doctor. Um, is plastic surgery addictive? Hmm. It depends on who you are, I think. Uh, you know, I think that most people would say that it is addictive. I think that you get into it, and I think that you find yourself... I think if it's successful, it becomes a little bit addictive. I think it is. A little I think, bit. I think there's um, a certain, yeah, if it's successful, there's a certain euphoria that you get from seeing these changes, and and then you know that it's possible. Right. So you want to see what else you can do. And I can't tell you how many patients I've had that on their initial consult with me were like, look, I'm not a plastic surgery person. I just need this one thing fixed. Maybe it's something therapeutic, like a breast reduction or a rectus diastasis repair. Like it's something they feel they need sort of for their health. Right. And then they see the results. And four surgeries later, you know, we've done like the brachioplasty and the mastopexy and the facelift, and but they're not plastic surgery patients. So I think once they see what's possible, then they really get into it. And right. I remember in particular, a personal anecdote, I was having plastic surgery and while I'm there, a nurse who works at our center, who's very familiar with me and she knows me, she's like, ah, oh, I'm so jealous. It's been a couple of years since I've had any plastic surgery. And I just, I really, just really want to do something. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But I don't know if it's a, addictive isn't the right word because addiction means that it's like without control, that it's, you know, it, it, it's got a, it has a, um, maladjusted connotation, sure. right? So so I don't think it's addictive, addictive that way. But there is a dopamine hit, like in the same way that social media feeds a dopamine yeah. surge. Not to obviously you're not doing plastic surgery every day on yourself, but I think that there is some euphoria and a dopamine hit that you get from, you know, 
getting these results that are really transformative. So they are. It, I, there is a gate. I think there's some gate. It's a gateway. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. I I think there are. So I, <laughs> I'm not going to rant, but I was on a episode of the Dr. Phil show where the subject was, is this too much plastic surgery basically? Mm. And they had a patient who had had, had had 49 plastic surgery operations and his surgeon was sitting next to me and he was on the stage talking about what he's going to do for his 50th plastic surgery operation. And he'd had bicep implants pec implants, facelift, chin recontouring, rhinoplasty, liposuction, you name it, he'd had it, right? And a lot of it. And his surgeon was right next to me. And I'm looking at the patient and I'm looking at the surgeon and then I'm looking at the patient and I'm like, oh my God, these guys look exactly alike. <laughs> and Dr. Phil is like, now, do you think that You've had too much of the plastic surgery. Are you doing okay? You know, kind of like that. He's like, oh, I'm going to have a party for my, you know, 50th operation. It's going to be great. And, you know, my doctor so-and-so is going to be there. I won't say his name. You guys can all refer to the episode. It's back, back in the day. Like, back in the day. I've been around a long time, people. And I'm sitting there just like, you can only imagine, right? You know, my my thing is the natural lift, the natural nose, the natural this, natural, natural, natural. You're going to look normal. You're going to look great. It's a better version of you. That's my whole shtick. Even if it takes 15 surgeries. To <sighs> so anyway, I'm sitting there like <laughs> listening, you know, trying to control myself. And, and I think Phil noticed smoke coming out of my ears. Just, you know, like I just, he goes, and, and I see him looking at me, you know, and I, and I, know him and, and, uh, and Jay McGraw, because like when Orden got onto the doctors, like I was like, I was the one who called Jay McGraw. I was like, I can't do your show, but this is the guy who can. And I said, T you know, Dr. Orden's amazing. And so I'd known them ever since. Cause Dr. Orden went on to be a very famous and successful host of the, uh, of the doctors. Anyway, Phil turns to me, he goes, well, we have in our audience today, a plastic surgeon known for his natural results, Dr. J. Calvert. Dr. J., what do you think about this? And I just went on. You talk about this being a rant-free zone. This was like a rant-away zone. And I just went nuts. And I was just like, oh, my God. This is like the wrong message. I went crazy. I go, this is not what plastic surgery is about. It's not powerful. It's not what we're trying to do for people. Like this concept of having a party for your 50th operation, like you can die from these operations. There's surgery involved. It's a real operation. Like, no, no, no. Like just going crazy. You know, and Phil, like kind of hid behind the sofa on a stage and was just like, I knew this was going to happen. And uh, they played about 2% of what I said and never invited me back. That was the bottom line. There it was. So yes, short answer, plastic surgery can, it can be, be addictive. But in most cases, it's not. But if you have one, you'll probably have more. If it's successful. If it's successful. And most Which of the time, it is. brings me to my next question. I know it's your turn. But this one feeds right into it. And it's not really a question. It's more of a statement. I just had plastic surgery. I don't like my results. I've been botched. Mm. I get that. All the time. All the time. And it, I don't know what it is about that term that just irritates me. 
And so everyone knows Botched, right? Because it's the show that's very successful. It's a TV show. It's patients that have had plastic surgery and it's gone wrong. And they go onto this show and the doctors, you know, fix it, make it better or not if they can't do anything. So the terminology botched has sort of permeated our culture. But just because you don't like your results does not mean you've been botched. Maybe you weren't the right candidate for that surgery. Maybe that surgery wasn't the right surgery for you. Or maybe you had different expectations than what was actually delivered. Or maybe it was an okay surgery, but not great. So there are lots of things that maybe you don't like about the result, but that by no way, shape, or form means that you've been botched. Because botched carries a really negative connotation, which means something horrible happened during your surgery, and maybe you just didn't get the results that you thought you were going to get. Yeah, I think that term is, um, well, because it's been bantered about so much, it's been watered down. So I don't think it has the same effect anymore. I think they say botch when they don't like the result. I guess. I hear it, though, and I just cringe because I'm like, yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're, bashing your plastic surgeon and they did a fine job. You just, you thought you're going to get something different or you don't like your result, but like he did a fine job, you know? That happens a lot. Um, so the thing that got me into the, the nose game was revision rhinoplasty. And I see a lot of people who are unhappy with their rhinoplasty results, but they really don't have a bad rhinoplasty. Right. It isn't bad. Just, they just don't like it. They don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that happens a lot. And yeah. I, I can... You know, and that, I'm sure it happens with me. I sh- I'm sure my patients are in other people's offices. I, I know they are because I, I know of patients that went to friends of mine and, you know, they had a fine operation, but they really didn't like the result. Right. And I had a bad review on Yelp one time that was so, like, it was so, it hit home so hard for me. This kid that I did his rhinoplasty and it went swimmingly. It was perfect. You know, I, everything that we talked about, it was all there. And then this Yelp review comes up and it's clearly from him. He puts his name on it, which most people don't. So he puts his name on it and says, you know, I went to Dr. Calvert and I wanted this, that, and the other thing, but he didn't listen to anything I say. And and this is what I got. And, and I'm so unhappy with it. And I wish I would have done this or said this or said that, whatever. And I read the review and I was just like, oh my God, all I did was listen to this kid's parents. Mm. And I remember he didn't say a word, mm. not a word. So there the was consultation. some miscommunication. And it was all the parents that drove the consultation. And right. they said, this is what it was. And, and I, I literally like answered back. I was like, oh my God, you have to come back in. I have to help you. Like, I, I totally missed this. This is my fault. I didn't listen to you. Cause he was a young kid and his parents right. were just, Talking they just barreled through and yeah. th- it changed my entire approach to teen rhinoplasty. Mm. Changed everything that I do. I tell the parent, like the parents come in, well, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. nice. Why don't you get out of here and let me talk yeah. to your kid and I'll tell you whether or not this is on because I want to hear from the patient, right. even if they're under 18. Well, that's what the pediatricians do. They kick the parents out that's at right. age like 14, like bye. Boom. Get yeah. out of here because I don't want you to direct traffic on this. This is their face. If they can't point to things and tell me what they're looking for, we're not doing a rhinoplasty. And it radically, this was like in 2006, it radically altered my entire approach to teen rhinoplasty, which has been such a joy in my practice. But I'll tell you, you know, that's the thing. You you have to be paying attention to the details. And there it is. All right. And there it is. You want one? Yes. All right. My turn. What you got for me? 
Uh, I've got, I've got several. Okay. Do you want a surgical question or do you want a medical, a medispa question? Surgical. <laughs> oh man. Is there like a, uh, like hurricane shelter or tornado shelter nearby? Uh-oh. Okay. I'm ready to what ask this one. Maybe I should get under the table and like, aren't you supposed to cover your head? <laughs> Something like that. I know it's been a bad week for you. <laughs> so this may be a sore point. And not because of what you've done. It's because of what somebody else did. Mm. Are cosmetic surgeons the same as plastic surgeons? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I was on call last week for a local hospital. And I got a few consults when I was on call. From surgeons in the community that were not plastic surgeons. They are not plastic surgeons. Are not plastic this surgeons. This is not a plastic <laughs> surgeon. Um, okay, so let's distinguish this. Uh, a cosmetic surgeon is a surgeon that has done some kind of surgery residency. It can not be, necessarily. Not necessarily. No, it, in the United no. States, it has to be either um, like a oculoplastic or um, some kind of general surgery or ENT or, uh, I don't know, anything where you cut things, where you can do some kind of surgery. You can't come into it from a medical residency. Oh, I thought you could do like internal medicine no. and then get boarded in cosmetic surgery. No, usually you have to have some kind of surgical background. Okay. So it's All right. Like I'll give you that. An oculoplastic, a, a you know, general surgeon, an ENT, an ob someone that did a residency that has some kind of surgical experience. And then they decide they want to get into the world of plastic surgery, but for whatever reason, they cannot, don't want to do a full two, three, five, six-year plastic surgery residency. So they just cut straight to the cosmetic part and do a one-year cosmetic surgery fellowship. And usually these are with other cosmetic surgeons, not plastic surgeons. Plastic surgeons do either a six, seven, eight-year plastic surgery residency or they do general surgery, ENT, and then another three years of a plastic surgery residency. So the training is much different. The training of plastic surgery is very comprehensive. So we do reconstructive, we do burns, we do pediatrics, we do the whole gamut, including, including aesthetics. aesthetics, a lot of aesthetics. cosmetic surgery, and that background and that you know bag of tricks that we come with makes us better trained. And I try to be like PC about this and say that, oh, no. we're all, you know. No, no, I'm not gonna be. We are way better trained. We have way better skills. We have way more knowledge of what we do. Now maybe someone who's done cosmetic surgery for th 30 years may have something, but I don't, they just train differently. They don't go to the same conferences we do. They don't have the same caliber of competition amongst their peers and what I saw last week from a cosmetic surgeon in our community made me just cringe because this woman, I mean, here we're going to use the word botched. This is a, a yes. good use. This of, is where the word botched, the botched comes, in. comes in. She has a permanent cosmetic deformity after this surgery that oh, yeah. I, and that I am now taking care of as a plastic surgeon because I was on call for plastic surgery when she came in with a plastic surgery problem. Right. They don't they have cosmetic surgeon call on call. The cosmetic surgeon on call because that's not a thing. Well, it's not. Let's be clear. Let's let's split hairs here because it's real. It's not an American 
Board of Medical Specialties approved specialty. The American Board of Cosmetic Surgery is a private corporation designed to board people that meet the requirements of whatever they are, that they've done some fellowship in cosmetic surgery after having, evidently you said it's some sort of surgical background, but yeah. I, I, I don't think that they need the surgical background. Uh, that may be true. I, I don't know that. So I want to be you know, totally clear that that isn't known to me because I know cosmetic surgeons, or maybe they're just people that are doing cosmetic surgery, that the, the guy across the hall from us that got taken out of our building in, by a SWAT team was not a trained surgeon. I think he was a family practice guy that decided to do tummy tucks in an exam room. Which you can do. There is no yes. law or rule against that. Nope. If you totally have okay. done one year of residency, you have a freestanding medical license in the state of California, and your license says physician and surgeon. That's so right. So you can open a practice and cut on people. You can't get hospital privileges to do those procedures, but if you have a surgery center or you do them under local or you have a garage, you could theoretically do surgical procedures. So please go back to how to become a plastic surgeon podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. And how to choose your plastic surgeon. How to choose your plastic surgeon. What does it mean to be board certified in plastic surgery? And go to a plastic surgeon. I'm, I'm tired of mincing words. Like I'm, I tried to be really polite and PC. I you know oh, cosmetic surgeons are great. Go to a plastic surgeon. No, I mean, it's facts. That's all it is. We're just talking facts. about facts. You know, it's not about whether it's right, wrong, up or down, we are not here for any kind of like judgment. We're just saying that if you want to know that you have a actual plastic surgeon as defined by the American Board of Plastic Surgery for, you know, breast, body, face, nose, whatever, then American Board of Plastic Surgery kind of gets you in that boat. Right. You know, I Stack think the, the, American, the, American, the American Board of Pla Facial Plastic Surgery gets you into the boat of somebody that knows how to do rhinoplasty, facelifts, fat grafting the face, brow lifts, like, right. you know, the uh, the um, ASOPers, which is the board for oculoplastic surgeons, these these guys are really good with eyelid surgery. They can handle right. everything around the orbit. You know, there's there are certain things, and, and we have gone out of our way to lay those kind of facts down on this podcast, not to, not for any other reason, just to let people know this is the information you need. Right. Right. It, it, it's not better, worse, up, down, whatever. In the end, I say look at the before and after photos, make sure they're legit, and then go ahead if you think that that's the surgeon for you. Always best to get a referral, always best to confirm that the surgeon is board certified by one of those boards that we've mentioned, and then make sure that you have a good plan with that surgeon that you have decided upon and that you feel comfortable. It has to be a team effort to get a great result with plastic surgery. I agree. All right. So let's see. I knew you'd like that question. I like that one. That yeah, one. I knew it. That one got my blood boiling a little <laughs> bit. All right. I'm going to, I think we have to sort of tailor this and cut it short a little bit. So I'm going to give you options. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two options. Okay. Here. Do you want a surgical question or do you want a dirty post-op question? I kind of want them both. Is that okay? <laughs> I mean, I kind of want to hear them. All right. I'll give you the surgical one first, and then and then we'll end this with the dirty ones. Okay. Do it. My doctor said I needed a breast lift, but I don't want scars. Can't I just put an implant in? That's what I came for. Hmm. As in many things in plastic surgery, it depends. So that depends on 
Do you what? like having pretty breasts or not? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it depends how much breast ptosis there is, which we've talked about on the Mastopexy podcast. You know, is there too much drooping of the breast? Can you fill it up? There have been many patients that have come in with like a little bit of sagging of the breast and deflation after pregnancy where they've gotten postpartum involution of the breast. And I've said, you know, how do you feel about having like a little bit bigger kind breast? saggy breast. You know, just a little bit more. And they go, well, I think that'd be okay. And then it's like, all right, well then if we can do that, now I can just fill it up with an implant and you're good to go. So that's doable in some cases. There are other cases where it's just too far gone and too you're going to need scars and you have to have it lifted. And your plastic surgeon should be very clear about that and tell you that. Right. So if they are hardcore suggesting you need a lift, you probably need a lift. Um, I had a patient recently that came in and the nipples were pointing down to the floor and she adamantly refused. She did not want to lift. Are you going to top me up yeah, here, yeah. doctor? Yeah, let me help you. you out here. Thanks. She did not want to lift. She did not want the scars on the breast. Can't you just put an implant in there? And I think she already had implants in place. So I knew what it would look like if I just replaced the implants. And I was like, no, she didn't want to pay for it. She didn't want to do it. She didn't want to have the scars. She's like, I just want the, I want, I just want the implants, you know, put in and, and taken out. I was like, I can't, I can't because it's going to look awful. And I don't, I, I can't. I'm, maybe there's another surgeon that will do that for you and you should go and see them. But doing a suboptimal surgery that's going to have horrible aesthetic results, horrible. No, sorry. Yeah, you know, we're not signing up to be your surgeon for, you know, results that are not Awful. going to make us look good. No, <laughs> I mean, no. I, we want the results to reflect well, right. our aesthetic yeah. abilities, concepts, our thinking. You know, we want to like hit amazing home runs for everybody. Yeah. I mean, there is, yes, this is absolutely about the patients. We want the patients to be happy. But at the same time, this is our job. And I need to walk out of that OR feeling good about what I did in that OR. And knowing that 100%. I did a really subpar operation for a person. No. No. It, no. Because it is a little bit about me too. Well, you know when that happens is when you listen to the patient's idea of how to do surgery. <laughs> and it's like, so many, and not to say uh, I haven't done that. I clearly have done that. Uh, we all have. But I don't feel good afterwards. No, I'm it's like, like uh, yeah, that's it. That's and they're the like, sentence. if you just do this, I'll be happy. And so, then they're not. So here's the thing as a patient, don't make up surgeries. Because sometimes we will take your advice and just do them because we want to make you happy. We're trying to make you happy. Trying to make you happy. Like, yeah, I guess you could do that. Yes, no. But like mm. sometimes surgeries don't exist for like a very good reason. So don't make up surgeries and don't convince your plastic surgeon to do surgeries that don't exist because there's a reason they don't exist. Like the reverse abdominoplasty. Save it for the next one. <laughs> oh, no. I just, I, I can't. I can't even. I won't even. All right. You have one more for me, or should I go to my dirty ones now? Go, go to your dirty my one. My dirty ones. I'm okay. ready. I have, I'm ready for the dirty question. Dirty ones. Okay. I have two. This was a real one, and it made my day. Two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks, after a huge 360, around the body, tummy tuck, lift, the whole deal. She's doing great, doing swimming. Doctor... I know I can't do anything too strenuous. And I know you said I probably shouldn't have sex right now. Can I have sex with myself, though? Like, because I really need it. 
<laughs> said my 67-year-old oh, patient who's two weeks from a huge surgery. Can I have sex with myself? Hmm. Two weeks after mm-hmm. a huge operation. Still has drains. I, I think that's also going to fall. <laughs> it's going to fall <laughs> under the category of it depends. It depends. Because we don't know what sex with yourself actually means. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you can. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. she still has drains. Still has drains. Still has drains. Still has drains. I mean, it's been like two and a half weeks. It's time. <laughs> Jeez. And I said, sure, go for it. Yeah, I mean, didn't you want more detail? Because what if like that's like no, no. You're just we're gonna like hope for the best. I did not because you don't know how you don't know like what that means. I mean, there's only so many things you can do with yourself. Well, some of it can be pretty rough. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. I just I would probably want to like dig in a little. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you need to know. What? Look, the the bottom line, you don't want to break incisions open. Like, there's right. a lot of things you don't want to happen. She's still got drains. She's still in a pretty acute phase of healing, and now she wants to go and like do something strenuous and crazy. It's it could be a problem. I mean, it couldn't like sex with herself could mean like. Renting her friend's dudgeon and doing, you know, True. swings and whips and th- like you don't know what people do. True. Maybe I should have asked. You gotta, be, you gotta get some specifics. more detail. I, I think. Look, I don't, I don't judge, and I, I think everybody's got their thing. You know, it's uh, it, you just have to be like open minded and and careful. And you know, we don't sit there and try to say, oh, you shouldn't do that because it's bad or anything. Well, you shouldn't do that because it's bad for your surgery. For your surgery, right? I, I don't care what you do. I really don't. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to sit here and say you should do it this way. That That's not my job. My job is to make sure you get a great result. So, Which brings me to my second question, which I got literally shoot. today. So if I do have sex, how should I do it? What positions should I do or should I not do? So now I actually am asking you, doctor, <laughs> how should I do it? <laughs> this was the best conversation I had all day, by the way. Well, um, <laughs> Because <laughs> we really, we really broke it down. I got it. You know, I mean, look, I, I get it because you don't, you don't want to hurt don't. your operation. And there, and there is a way that you can do it without hurting your operation. So what I tell people in a very like, you know, uh, discreet and sort of palatable manner without having to get, you know, graphic and, and, you know, sort of rude about the whole thing. I just say, look, be careful, be smart. Find ways to do things that are gentle, that you're going, like, I get it. People like having sex. It, it, you should. It's, it, it, it's fun. That's kind of part of the deal. Right. You have a, you know, husband, a wife, a partner, whatever you have, you know, it doesn't matter. New boobs. It, yeah. And you got, and now you got some stuff going on. It's all good. Right. So then it's like, well, just use your common sense. Be gentle. Don't put any, like I said, don't stretch anything. Right. Don't push the envelope. This is not the time to create you know, new athletic maneuvers <laughs> is the term I use. <laughs> and just be smart about it. And if it hurts, don't do it. So that's sort of the way that I look at it because I, I think you, you can have sex. I mean, the, they're, you know, the, the operation is very focal in most cases in a, in a 360 like butt lift and, and tummy tuck and a, and a whole body lift like that, that's a little different. Then you kind of really got to be careful. Got to be careful. Right. You do. I mean, because you, I, I, I will tell you the story. Back in 2005, right when I got into practice after leaving UC Irvine, getting up to Beverly Hills, 
you know, this guy who's probably 55, six, seven at the time brought in his, you know, 23 year old girlfriend for a breast augmentation. I was like, great. You know, we got this. And you know, so we do the breast augmentation and that night that I did the breast augmentation, I get a phone call. The right breast is blowing up like a balloon. Mm. I was like, what do you mean it's blowing up like a balloon? Like it was a dry operation. I was like, what is, what happened? What's going on? He's like, well, we were having sex and I was trying <gasps> to, it, it, and literally was trying to like road test the surgery the night of the operation. I was like, Too dude, <laughs> I was like, really? He's like, well, you know, I just figured they're in and it's done. And it's like, no, like that, that, that is so not how this works. So that, so that was a little too soon. <laughs> I was like, that is so not how this works. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Really? You need some time on that one. But at least he owned up to it. Uh, yeah, well, he did. He was saying it like there was nothing wrong with it. So like he clearly thought it was completely okay. okay. Like I got the breasts in. Now I'm ready to use them. And we're good to go. Yeah. I was like, nah. uh, did you read the pre-op? No, no yeah. you didn't. Never mind. You got it. These are things. Come on in. Let's drain the hematoma and then we're going to And then it. you're good with it. You know, you got to let yourself heal internally. I kind of say the same thing. You know, think of it like strenuous activity, exercise. You got to give these incisions time to heal. If you can do something that's not going to be strenuous and it's not going to put friction or a lot of tension on these incisions, you know, once you get to two, three weeks, probably fine. Even then my patient really wanted me to get into specific positions. So I was like, okay, well, you know, here we go. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) pillow princess, missionary, probably fine. Don't get like nothing too hard. Like just, <laughs> um, <laughs> like just you know, take it easy. And you try and say use common sense, but sometimes people don't have common I sense. Know. So you have to be really specific. And she's like, "Well, is that really the only position I can do?" I'm like, "Okay, if you're on top, you're bouncing around too much. Like, Jesus, it's like, too much. Really? You can't be like on all fours. That's too much pressure on your incisions." Like I had to really break Walk it her through this thing. down for her. And I was like, "Just lie on your back. Just yeah, take it." Like just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. <laughs> I, it, really? These are things that like, people. Does it seem need hard to, to understand? And is that hard? No, it's not. It's not hard. Well, hopefully, <laughs> somewhat hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm, See, that's what happens when you give me champagne. <laughs> uh, I, I think you know, the, for a two hundredth episode, I think we've hit the mark. <laughs> we've done it. I have a question for you now. Okay. Yes. Going forward, what do you want out of this podcast? What do you want? What do you, as a host, yes, want out of this podcast? What do you want to do for our patients? Like we we've covered lots of topics. We're going to keep covering, and we're going to revisit topics because this s- surgical specialty of ours changes right. on a six month basis. It's evolving. I think I would like to bring in more patients, more patient experiences, which we say all the time. And the only hiccup for that is just the organization of it. You know, you and I are very busy and, and like trying to organize our patient schedules and our schedules tends to be a little bit difficult, but I do think people really like those patient experiences. And so I would like to see us doing that a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good, you know, a good, uh, future kind of goal is to get more patient sort of stories on our podcast. What about, um, innovations, any like the inventors that do we need more you know, we have a lot of people asking to be on this podcast now, which I think is interesting. I get a lot of inquiries from PR people. They're like, hey, your podcast is one of the top 10 plastic surgery podcasts in the country, which where did they get that stat? Like, I don't know where that came from. I don't either. 
And uh, we, we'd love to have our client, you know, so-and-so on your podcast. We'd love, you know, him to come and talk on, about this or that. And, you know, he's the inventor of this or blah, blah, blah. You know, like, okay, you know, come on in. But um, I think the patients are key. I think there's, you know, just for everybody who's listening, like we're sponsored by nobody. We pay for this podcast ourselves. So we don't have anybody whispering in our ear like, just say so-and-so mm -hmm. 10 times during the podcast. Just tell them about this treatment. We no, no. we are like we're we're free of encumbrances that way, you know. Yeah. From that, so I think that's important. But I think going forward, I I want, yeah, I want more like down to earth, raw descriptions of what it is that happens for people because I think plastic surgery has become more. It's just it's a safer process. And it's a more effective process and the reliability, like the reliability of me with a rhinoplasty is, it is light years ahead of when I started in 2001. I'm sure. It's light years. I, I can't, I can't even put it into a, a comparison of it's, it, it's so different. You know, when we were doing rhinoplasties in 2001 and yes, I was very new in practice even like what we teach the fellows and, and the reliability of plastic surgery is so much different. It is, you can go and get a great rhinoplasty. You can get a great breast augmentation. You can get great operations because the teaching and the technology has evolved so much. It, it's really shocking. It, yeah. it, it's so different and, and it's great for the patients. Like they can go in and be like, I'm getting a facelift and they look amazing. I'm getting a nose job. Great. It's awesome. Here's my breast augmentation. Amazing. And that's basically what happens if you go to a board certified plastic surgeon, <laughs> I'm going to qualify that statement because I think the, the training's just, it, it's light years ahead. Yep. And that's what we try and talk about on this podcast. So I think that that is where we will continue to go. Well, let's do that. So here's to another 200 episodes, if we can do that, which would be awesome. Cheers. Cheers to that. And uh, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself, this is how to do it. You can reach me at the website, ravelloplasticsurgery.com. You can reach out to the office directly through the website with any questions or consult requests, or you can call the office directly at 310-954-1355. And you can reach me on Instagram at ravelloplasticsurgery. And to reach me, the phone number is 310-777-8800. My website is drcalvert.com, drcalvert.com. Instagram, Dr. J. Calvert. And of course, you may want to check out our YouTube channel for the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, which is simply that, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Hope to see you all in the office very soon. <laughs>